0: Reading this morning from Hosea 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt But Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me, and though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. How can I give up on you, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Admah? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion draws warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies and the house of Israel with deceit, but Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One.
1: Young woman, he said, you are free. And she asked, well, what does that mean that I am free? It means you're free to go. Well, what does that mean? Am I, am I free to, to say whatever I want to say? You're free to say whatever you want to say. Well, does it mean I'm free to to be whatever I want to be? You're free to be whatever you want to be. Does it mean that I can go wherever I want to go? Yes, you can go wherever you want to go. And so with tears in her eyes, she said, then... I choose to go with you. And she walked off with Abraham Lincoln. You know, Israel responded the same way to God. When God brought them out of Egypt, they were freed from bondage and they were thankful and they were rejoicing over who God was and how He had delivered them. They they had new freedom and they were worshiping Him, Yahweh, I am. And then as time went by, they grew bitter, they grew angry, they began to complain, they were unthankful, they forgot all that God had done for them in their lives. And then they went with another, and it grieved the compassionate father's heart over their choice, as He watched them suffer the consequence of their sin, and as the Holy Father had to place righteous judgment upon His children. Always longing for them to repent. Always longing for them to return. And again say to the compassionate Father, I will go with you. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit will pour out upon us, that we will realize uh, when we walk away from you, and that we realize that, uh, that you are drawing us back to yourself. That we can come home running, that we can enter into your arms, that you are a compassionate Father who who, although deals with our sin, forgives our sin and washes us anew. And I pray this morning, Lord Jesus, that we would would see clearly your heart. Oh God, that we would see the compassion that you have for us and that we would receive you and know you and walk with you, I pray. In your precious name, amen. Well, we're going to look this morning in Hosea 11, and, and I want us to look at how... The compassionate father deals with wayward, sinful children. What's his heart towards us, towards Israel? And the chapter begins that and reveals that he has a heart that is full of love for his wayward children. A heart that goes deep into who they are. Look what it says. When Israel was a child, I loved them. And out of Egypt, I called my son. He views his children, he views you and me with incredible love. And he's drawing back to to remembering, to reflecting upon when when they first came out of Egypt and his dear children and how much he loved them. It reminds me of, of when my first son, Caleb, was born. And... It's true with all of our children when they're born, but uh, when you have that first child, because you've never experienced this feeling uh, when that child is born for the first time. And Caleb was born 16 years ago, and as he was born and as we held him for the first time, and for those of you who are parents, you know this feeling, this insane love comes out of nowhere for this child and that nowhere is straight from the heart of God. You're like, you're holding that child, and you're like, I love this child beyond anything. It's a different love than than with your spouse. It's 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 this this love that just runs so deep to the core, and you seriously don't even know why. I mean, they just they sleep and they poop and they sleep and they poop and you <laughs> and you still go, I I love this kid. And God gives us in that moment his heart for us, for his children. It's the whole love story of the Bible longing for a relationship with his children. And yet, as that child grew up, as Israel grew up, that incredible love that went to the core was taken and was thrown right back into God's face. It's like the prodigal son to the father. Give me my inheritance. What that really is saying is, Father, I wish you were dead. Give me my money so that I can go squander it, live my own life. Do what I want to do. I wish you were dead so I'd have my inheritance. So give it to me now. I wish you were dead, Dad. Give me my money. So I can go live my own life and live in my own sin. And I want nothing to do with you anymore. And you know, every parent who hears something like that from their children, they recall back to, but I held you as a little child and I grew you up, and I loved you. I'll never forget that. Scriptures remind us, does a nursing mother ever forget her child? Absolutely not. Neither does God. He enters in, and he loves them, but they're thrown in his face. They, they're wooed. The, the Scriptures say, as they call, it's, it's the bales are calling them. The idols are calling them, come, come this direction. We have more for you than God alone. We have more to offer you. And so they're called and they fall into the trap and the lie. Christopher Wright says this, the the worst thing about idols, as the scriptures always point out, is that they're utterly useless when you need them the most. They're absolutely useless. You see, it is God alone who is our rock. It's God alone who is our salvation. It's not some idol that we're trying to draw life from. Out of Egypt, my children whom I love, I brought them out of Egypt. I delivered them from incredible, awful slavery that was taking place. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting prophetic message in, in Matthew 2.15. It speaks of Jesus. And it speaks of Jesus in Matthew 2.15. It says, This is to fulfill prophecy that was spoken by my prophet. Out of Egypt, I brought my son out of Egypt. This fulfills prophecy. And it's an interesting connection as you think through My son was called. It was fulfilled when Jesus came out of Egypt after Herod's massacre of the innocents. And I think think what it's saying is Jesus is, is the perfect son. Jesus is the perfect son. And Israel couldn't get there on their own. There had to be... There had to be a plan. And so in God's love, all along the way, he was developing a plan for redeeming Israel, us, out of bondage to sin. Jesus is the answer for us being in bondage to sin. He is our Savior. He is our salvation as we believe upon him. Oh, beautiful Israel, Ephraim, whom I loved and whom I brought out of Egypt and I had so much life to give and and restoration and healing and and joy. Look what it says in verse 3. They went after the other gods, but listen, I was the one who taught you to walk. I took you by your arms, but they did not know that I had healed them. Okay, everybody, look up. Why don't you take your fingers and do this? Every parent knows this. Every parent knows this pose. And everyone who's going to become a parent, you will have this pose in your life. Because what's going to happen is there's going to be little fingers, little hands that are going to grab a hold. And you're going to teach them to walk. This is, this is what God is teaching us in Hosea. This is what he's bringing us back to, the compassionate Father. You grab my fingers. I, I held on to you. I grabbed your arm. I taught you to walk. All throughout the scriptures, to walk with God is that that you learn to, to follow him, that you learn to, to go with him in obedience. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you learn to walk with God. Ephraim, I want that for you. I taught you how to walk. And yet you've gotten to this place that you show up and you say to me, you taught me how to walk. I thought I just walked. What are you talking about? They're spiritually blind. Think about, think about all the areas where you've, you've taught your children to, to be set free. You've trained them in something and now have set them free. I think of when we learned to ride bikes, right? That was another great moment in our lives where, again, our parents are, are taking us and, and they're holding on to the bike and, and they finally let us go. I had this awesome, I had this awesome Schwinn bike bike, it was actually all, all green, and it had this banana seed on it, and it was like a metallic, uh, metallic green, it had all the sparkles in it, you know? And, and back then, it was actually cool to have the little uh, streamers, you know, hanging off, for guys and girls, okay? So uh, <laughs> nowadays, I you know. But I remember in our little courtyard of Sunnyvale, California, five years old, I was set free to go ride. I'm not sure if I ever actually thanked Mom and Dad for that. So here, Mom and Dad, thank you. I know how to ride a bike still. How about, how about when we uh, teach our kids how to drive? All of the lessons that go into that. All of the parking lots that you take them around. And one of our kids hit a big uh, post cement post, as we were teaching them to drive. Actually, they were, they were younger, and they were on our lap, <laughs> and hit the post. And we taught them to drive, maybe some of us, just because we wanted to uh, spoil our kids, maybe some of us actually got our kids the first car. We saved up, and we're like, we want to gift our child their first car. And you can't wait for that moment. And they turn 16, and you give them the car, and they take the keys, and you never see them again. <laughs> it's kind of true, isn't it? I have my first 16-year-old. And he, he's dating and all that stuff. And so it's—it's it's, uh, we're passing in the night, you know? But they get that freedom, and then they come back home, and they're like, I need gas. All of that, Israel is, is taking the keys and they tear out of there. There's no thank you, thank you for teaching me, thank you for the gift, thank you for the freedom. It's I want to get away from you and I am driving to another lover. They don't see God's hand in the middle of all their goodness, all the good things that God gave them. And they miss it. They're spiritually blind. They don't acknowledge Him. There's not an attitude of of thankfulness to their Lord God who delivered them out of Egypt. The, The compassionate Father wanting to have relationship with His children in all of these things. His heart for them. That's why He saves them out of the bondage of sin. That's why He teaches them to walk, to have Righteousness and life. And he gives them all the tools to have life. The compassionate Father leads in kindness. Look what it says. It says, I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love. I became to them as one who eases the yoke of their jaws, and I bent down to feed them. I led them, or I, I drew them, with, with cords of love, with, with bands of love, cords of kindness. It, it's the idea of uh, gentle cords. You see, God isn't, he's not harsh or manipulative. He's not trying to coerce you into relationship with him. God never does that to us, does he? all the other gods that there are out there, these false gods. It's all coercion out of fear, isn't it? God doesn't live that way. Not the God of the Bible. Not the God who is our Savior through his son Jesus Christ. I drew you with cords of kindness, with, with bands of love, into relationship, I, I, I was leading you to to be healed and to be healthy. One uh, theologian, Clark, says uh, these these cords could be like a leading string. The, they would take children with a leading string, and the children would have the other end, and and, and they would help them, kind of guide them. Uh, here's the path you need to walk on. If you walk too far to the left, they they would kind of kind of have them over here a little bit so that they wouldn't go off the edge or, or off a dirt road. And, and there was a leading string, real gentle. There's also the imagery in this of, of, of farming again. And it could, have the, it could have the idea of the cords that, that led the, the cow or the ox into the place of feeding. Here I want to lead you so you can have health and nourishment. And look what the scriptures say. I I took off that yoke off your jaw. I didn't have this this heavy ropes that were yanking you here and there. I led you into a place where you could receive nourishment and life. This is the compassionate father. We can't miss this because all of Hosea, or at least most of Hosea, has had this real sense of, here's this this judgment upon us for our sin, which is true. We We do reap what we sow. That is true. There is consequence for sin. That is true. God has to have his holy judgment upon sin because he's holy, but because he wants us to enter into relationship with him so that we can have and be right with God, that we repent and come in but the heartbeat behind all of this is chapter 11, the compassionate father. You can't miss it. You can't miss the way he views us. It doesn't mean we we go on sinning so that grace may abound. Paul says, absolutely not. Now that God has freed us from sin, we're no longer our own. We're bought with a price. We belong to him. And so now we live our lives with his gentle leading in obedience, we walk with God, and we receive life, not death. He says, "I, I brought you this place, I restored you out of Egypt there's all kinds of images here eases the yoke on their jaws he's gentle with them. You see here's something that was true, and again God's not a god of manipulation or coercion, and he's not going to force you into relationship with him. There was uh, stories about how the armies in the ancient world fought, especially Persia and Greece. And Persia and Greece would go to war quite often. And one of the things that they discovered about the armies of Persia is that those armies, those soldiers, were slaves They were driven into fighting for Persia, and they were whipped and beaten into being soldiers for the Persian Empire. But for Greece, it was a whole different story. The Greek soldiers were free men. They were patriots. They fought for Sparta. Their armies were less in number, but they fought in loyalty to their kingdom and to their king. And many times in many of the battles, the much smaller Greek army would win those battles, and they were outnumbered by thousands because they were fighting in freedom, and they were loyal to their king, and they had their sense of duty and love for country. That's what God has for us, that we are part of his kingdom, that we fight these spiritual battles, we fight for righteousness, not because we're whipped into that, not because all of a sudden uh, he's going to come and kill us, but because we love him. And he longs for that love. Look at you see more of the the, this beautiful love. This is one of the the most powerful things. So he leads them to the grain, he he loosens their jaw, and then this and I bent down to them and I fed them. The Heavenly Father, God who came out of heaven, so that he could have relationship and deal with the issue of sin through His Son, Jesus Christ. God bent down. And I fed them. There's all kinds of imagery there. There's Out of Egypt, there's imagery of I stooped down, I fed them. Remember the manna from heaven? I took care of them. I provided for them. I'm reminded of, of Philippians 2, where It speaks very clearly of God in all his humility. He emptied himself and became man and he took on upon himself us, humanity. All the way to the point of death on the cross so that we might have life. God bent down. Do you see the compassionate father? And there's always a choice for us. Will we receive that? Will we repent? Will we draw near to God? Or are we going to continue to throw it in God's face and say, yeah, I don't want your love. Give me my money, Dad. I wish you were dead. I'm going to go live my own life. And we will suffer the consequence of our sin. And there will be holy judgment on that. God bent down. I didn't come to to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. I love what Tim Keller says. He says, there's no way to have real relationship without becoming vulnerable and hurt. Christmas tells us that God became breakable and fragile. God became someone we could hurt. Why? To get us back. To get us back, there's no other religion, whether secularism or Greco Roman paganism, Eastern religion, Judaism, Islam, that believes that God became breakable or suffered or had a body. But these memories of Ephraim, those early years of remembering the the beauty of that relationship and growing them up the reality is Israel grew up and and they, they grew up walking away from God. And now in verses 5 through 7, there's a painful necessity of judgment, of punishment, the reality of consequence of sin. They're not going to return out of the land of Egypt. Assyria is going to have them. Why? This is what I don't want you to miss. This one's a little more clear. Part of what's happening is They've refused to return back to me. They're they're just continuing to, to just say, I want nothing to do with you. They're not repenting. They refuse to come back. My people are turning away from me. And I will not raise them up. And God's heart, the compassionate Father, he grieves and he grieves and he grieves. And his heart aches cries out in verse 8, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? I can't treat you like I did with the cities that were wiped out in near Sodom and Gomorrah. My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. And now God has to, to live an expression of, of, of bold love, of tough love with a desire of healing, a desire for reconciliation. I'm reminded in these in these chapters and these verses of families who who will deal with wayward children who are living in sin and, and they're they're living destructive lives and, and and our hearts as parents grieve and grieve and tears and we ache over what's happening with our children. And then and then they come back and they're like, hey, can I come back home? and 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 It'd be with you, and your heart grieves, and you're like, yes, come back home, and then they continue in that destructive pattern, and they're stealing money, and they're going and buying more drugs, and they're living their destructive, sinful life, and, and they're becoming almost violent in their, in their relationship with you, and so they leave again, and they come back, you know, just living in their destruction, and then they come back again, hey, you know, I want to come back home, and, and as a parent, you're like, oh, I don't want them on the streets, and, and so you let them back in and they do more of that. They steal and they rob and they, they live in their sin and, and then they get out and they go do their own stuff and then they come back again and you know, you know that they've been on the streets and that they're hurting and they come back again and like, can I come home? And the parents arrive at a place and they say, no, you can't until you repent and stop living this destructive lifestyle. You cannot come in. I've walked through with some parents who've made that choice, and every situation is different, right? But a child who continues to live in destructive sin, that's destroying everything around them, including themselves, and they will not come to a place and you grieve because they're on the street and they're hurting. And yet all they're really saying is, I wish you were dead, Father. Repent. You see, the prodigal son, he repented. He repented. He turned of his ways. The father was wanting to welcome him home, but he repented. You don't just get to come home and continue in your destructive, sinful life. I'm a holy God. I cannot have that in my presence. Repent, and you will be washed clean and be restored. Do you see the the grieving, compassionate heart of the Father? And so, they're not going to come out of Egypt. But I am not going to take it all the way You see, we have this dilemma here. We've got Holy God, Holy God who has to deal with sin. He cannot have sin in his presence. And yet he provides a way of of sacrifice and of repentance where there can be relationship with Holy God. For us now with Jesus Christ, it's through Jesus Christ. Salvation, forgiveness of sins. Holy God says in the scriptures, in Romans, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. The ultimate outcome for people who live in sin, who live wanting no relationship with God, the outcome of that, spiritually, is spiritual death. And so how does God deal with that? He pours out an amazing grace. And he reminds his people, I am not man, I am God. Because how would man deal with Israel? I think most of us would be like, enough, enough already, you're done. You see, man is only willing to be reconciled if, if the offending party will never again do anything wrong. Man, when he does reconcile, he he doesn't lift the former offender to a place of high status and partnership. Man, when he's wrong, he does not bear all the penalty for the wrong done. Man, when he attempts reconciliation, will not continue if he's rejected. I am not man, I am God. And so I provide... Away, a remnant. I'm dealing with sin and I'm wooing hearts. And the end of this chapter is a reminder that there's a remnant. There's an incredible remnant. I'm going to roar like a lion. Out of Judah, there will come those who will follow me, the Holy One. There are those who are going to hear the heart of God and be drawn to it and worship him. And we get prophetic messages here. There is a remnant out of Judah. The compassionate father is not just going to wipe out all his people. He calls them in. And the thing that's so amazing, we'll see in Hezekiah, Hezekiah is a good king and he has victory over Assyria. We see that. But even bigger than that, prophetic to the end, out of the line of Judah, that comes our Savior. God's big picture, I'm going to provide a way to deal with our sin problem. It's through my son Jesus Christ, and he will give life. And when that lion roars, they will come in awe of me, and they will worship me again because I'm a compassionate father who longs for relationship with my children. Receive my love, the Father says. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for we, we seem to forget all your goodness and your kindness and your offer of salvation. We, we, We sometimes just live life and and we forget the cross. We try to do life in our own strength or we think that our salvation comes through all of our hard work and efforts. And yet you dealt with the sin problem through Jesus Christ. You called your son out of Egypt to free us from the bondage of sin and we thank you for that. And I pray for those this morning who do not know you, Jesus. I pray that you are wooing their hearts and that they would receive you as their Lord and Savior. Would they invite you to be their God, their Lord, and start to grab a hold of your fingers and walk with you? Forgive us our sin, Father, and thank you that you cleanse us, that you wash us anew, because of the blood of your Son, Jesus. Amen.